in that God that created you. Number five, that by believing in Jesus and the righteousness of him and the virtue of his death, his righteousness is placed upon you, imputed to you, so that your guilt is swept away and you are now accounted righteous in God's sight because you are a guilty sinner, because God is holy, because your inner sinful nature lives in rebellion to him, because God created you. Number seven, that you have been made a new creature in Christ, that after your body lays to the ground, a soul and a spirit that you cannot see goes to heaven and lives with him forever. And number eight, that Jesus Christ will once again come to judge the living and the dead, and that endless bliss and perfect person perfect satisfaction awaits at the resurrection those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. Some of you are going, that went way over my head. And so now you can kind of understand. I look back on those teenagers and I have a little more grace for why they may have laughed. Because really, without God's help, without the illumination of the Holy Spirit, we're really not going to understand these things. You can't see any of what I just told you. You can't prove it in a laboratory. No one ever comes back from the other world and testifies to this. Well, except for Jesus, okay? The evidence of our eyes is all against this. We can't see sins forgiven. We have to believe it. We can't see souls going to heaven. We can't believe it. Jesus said that he would come back to earth, but that was 2,000 years ago. I mean, you can kind of wonder, maybe he forgot about earth. Maybe he forgot about us, you know? I mean, maybe there's like all these other planets with other human beings. He's like, oh my goodness, I forgot to go back to earth. I said I was going to go. I totally blew my mind. Uh, Gabriel, why didn't you remind me? Who who didn't send me the text message that I was supposed to go back to earth? It's been 2,000 years. Wow, I bet you those people are really waiting. No, we have to believe it. What are we often asking of people when we talk about our faith? To believe in a God we cannot see, a Jesus we've never personally met in the flesh, in a heaven we've never been to. And yet there's so many of you in here that are so solidly believing that. Amen? Amen? And I submit to you that how you got to that belief was not of your own effort. That without God's help, we would not even understand any of this. That was my point this morning when we're talking about Worship. Sometimes, you know, sometimes we can have that sense of if I go into church and I worship, maybe God will do something in me. And the fact is, God right here, right now, right wherever you are, wants to begin doing something in you so that you go into church and you got something to worship about. Amen? It's almost that worship is the effect. Worship is the response, but it's not necessarily the solicitation to demonstrate to God's sincere faith. And yet I do that sometimes. Man, when I'm, you know, if I had a, 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 a week where I got beat up by the devil all week or, or I'm just mad or I'm, I'm like, God, I, and I've told people this, I just need to worship right now. I just need to worship it right off of me. And you know what? There's some validity in that. But the fact of the matter is, worship is an act of faith. And we need God's help for that act of faith. How can I go into worship and say I don't need God's help to worship? 
when the very essence of faith are things that don't come natural to us, right? How many of you, you wake up in the morning and you think, I can't wait to die to my flesh today. How wonderful is that? I'm going to die to this craving and this desire and all of my feelings will not rule me today. You know, how many of us naturally wake up? We don't. We naturally wake up and say, where is the coffee, right? Where is my breakfast? And why is there so much traffic going to work? I mean, we, we naturally don't have that kind of, you know, how many of us truly wake up and say, wow, I can't wait to kneel beside my bed, close my eyes, and begin speaking to somebody who's not even there, who's not going to talk back to me, and I'm going to feel great about that. We don't wake up naturally and feel that way or do that. How do we do that? Why do we still pray? Because with God's help by faith, we know incredible things happen when we pray. And the feelings come later. You know, I told you, you can't see sins forgiven. Actually, you can in a way. I've prayed with people when they've blown it big time. Brother, let's get on our knees, take my hands, and we begin to pray, and the blood of Jesus just rips that sin off of their heart. You can see it in their eyes. You can see it on their face. It is way beyond emotions. If I just wanted to make them feel better, they'd go off for a drink. Right? Not, not that kind of drink. <laughs> Although that works too, I hear. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? You know, there's ways to feel better. But to get on our knees and pray to the air, if there wasn't any power to it, I, why do you see it? Why has something happened there? Because God is helping that faith to grow. It's less about what we're doing and more about what we are opening ourselves to allow God to do in us. You grab a hold of that central truth, you have totally got Hebrews chapter 11. The whole chapter is about us releasing our doing and opening ourselves up to be available for God doing in us. And the more he begins to do, the less of us we begin to shed all of those other things. And so this morning, my point is faith comes down to us as a gift from God. I think it's something we conjure up. Uh, I don't think it's something we muster up. Oh, I got to muster up enough faith. It's like Jesus' disciples in Luke chapter 17 when they finally realized, wow, we're really not naturally accustomed to doing this. They looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, would you increase our faith? They got it. Lord, increase our faith. Think about the rich young ruler. There's a story where a young man, a very, very wealthy young man, so to seem, so it would seem, came up to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, he, and, 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 and it becomes a conversation about achievements. And we find out the man has perfectly kept the commandments. The man has kept the Ten Commandments. He's been a good Jew. He's done all of his sacrifices. I mean, he has achieved it. He does not need God's help for anything. He's doing just fine on his own. Jesus actually affirms that. He says, all right, you have done well. But actually, there's one thing you're missing. 
Sell it all and then come and follow me and I will help you grow in your faith. Well, what's the rich guy say? And it's not just because he's rich. It's just kind of describing him. He says, no, I don't want that. There's nothing to achieve here walking behind you. Come on, Jesus. I, I kept the commandments. God's blessed me with money. I'm a leader. I can make a sound in society. You're telling me that I need your help? No, I'm, I'm asking you what more do I need to do, not what you need to do. And Jesus' answer is, young man, I'm sorry, but unless you allow me to do it, you'll never get it, and you'll never have it. Because without God's help, we truly don't understand what faith really is. And he walked away sad because he didn't want it. He wanted to do it himself. But before we beat up on him, Peter was the same way. Peter knew the lake. He knew Lake Galilee better than all of us, better than anybody. He was the master of the lake. He had his own boat. He had his own servants. He had his own crew. He was the captain on the deadliest catch. And so he's he's all walking around, and all of a sudden, he puts his net into the lake, and there is a catch that comes out. He's bringing in this catch. He's going, oh, my goodness, I've never seen so many fish in this lake. I've never even seen that kind of fish in this lake. What is happening? Only God could do this. And then he looks over, and he realizes, oh, my goodness, God's on the boat. God's on the boat. He goes before Jesus, I'm just a naked, sinful man, and Jesus lifts him up. And you would think that Peter grew in his faith on that day. But you know what happened? Peter began to think to himself, boy, do we get in trouble when we think to ourselves. Peter began to think to himself, Jesus needs a bodyguard. I'm tough, man. I got the guns. My hands are registered lethal weapons in the Roman province of Palestine. And he begins to think he is Jesus' high protector. So one day, Jesus says, uh, one day, we're going to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to hand me over to the chief priests, and they're going to hand me over to the Romans to be crucified. And Peter goes nuts. He says, Jesus, what are you talking about? We can't allow that to happen to you. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) On the night that Jesus is having his final meal with his friends, he says again, one of you is going to betray me, and I'm going to be handed over to die. You know what Peter says? Jesus, bro, even if all these guys leave you, I won't. Peter still is operating in the faith in his own strength mentality. Faith in my own strength. Jesus, even if all of them leave, I'm a man. I'm a loyal man. I will not leave you. And what does Jesus say? Before the rooster crows three times, you will deny you even know me. And that's exactly what happens. Why? Because he's not accepting God's help for the faith. He's trying to do it on his own. He's trying to say, man, I, I can help you, Jesus. I can protect you. I'm a leader. I got some money. I, I got, I'm strong. 
This doesn't have to happen. Well, it happens. Jesus dies, and he rises from the grave. And now here's a story where Peter is back on that same boat, on that same lake, pulling up that same net, and what happens? Fish. Whoa. He's thinking to himself, wait a minute. This has happened before. What's going on here? He's not on the boat, but we know who's around. Looking around. Oh, there's a guy over there on the shore. He's waving us in. Peter knows exactly who it is. He jumps off the boat. He's swimming, and he stands in front of Jesus, and I'm telling you, he's not standing like this. You like that, don't you? Just thought of that. Oh, Jesus, Peter's standing like this. Barely look him in the eye. Why? Because Peter found out that faith in his own strength, he doesn't have any strength. He doesn't understand the first thing about what having the Spirit of God inside of him means. So he's got his head down. And what does Jesus do? Jesus three times, for, for every time that Peter denied Jesus, Jesus three times restores Peter and says, feed my sheep. You were going to minister in your own faith. You were going to step out in your own power. And you see where that got you. You denied the Son of God at his trial. But now, now you've learned, Peter, that without me, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from my power working in you, you're never going to get two steps into being the rock I've called you to be. Stay in Jerusalem. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. When it comes, and you'll know when it comes, then move out and begin to spread the faith with God's help. That's exactly what he does. So what's my point this morning? Without God's help, none of us would have faith. It doesn't come natural to us. It's not something we figure out. It's something God shows us, God develops in us, and the whole goal is that we become more available. We become more willing. We become of the mindset of what can God do through me rather than what can I do. Catch the difference? All right. Point number one, I mean, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. We'll start there. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. What is seen was not made out of uh, what was visible. Has anybody ever played with an M80 before? When I was a kid, I did something terrible. I hopped in a car with a kid who didn't have a license and was only 14. Drove from Detroit to Ohio. It's about a two-hour drive because fireworks are illegal in Michigan. And I bought a bag of M80s. It's a quarter stick of dynamite. It's an M80. It's a little, little stick of dynamite with a wick coming out of it. And I bought a hundred of them. I think for like 20 bucks. It was beautiful. I had weapons. I had 
I had, I had weapons of mass destruction in my point of view. In fact, one time, me and my brother were having a bottle rocket war in this old abandoned high school, and he went into this, this, this exterior bathroom, and I saw him go in there, and I saw his little bottle rocket pointing out of the gun slit window, and I went, oh, I remember. I looked up, to, I wasn't even a Christian then, but I looked up to God and went, thank you. And I lit that M80, opened the door, threw it in there, shut the door, and ran. Boom! All older brothers get what they deserve. <laughs> lit that M80, ran like there was no tomorrow. I mean, I'm sure I paid for it later. I can't remember, but, you know, oh, I mean, I, I always used to blow stuff up. You know, we, we go out in the field and get a bunch of stuff and, and just boom. You know, watch. one time we found a dead squirrel. <laughs> Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Shoved that... <laughs> Shove that M80 where the sun don't shine, just boom, you know. It, and here's, sorry, I'm, I, I'm getting a little carried away now, but, <laughs> but here's the point. Here's the point. If you've ever seen something explode, there's no order to it. It's just, you, you think to yourself, wow, that's amazing. Because it's just utter chaos has ensued. You, you don't think to yourself, Wow, when it exploded, it was really, there was like a plan and a purpose to this. It's just everywhere. The universe, on the other hand, is almost the exact opposite. What's the author saying here? By faith, we understand that the universe was formed. See, these days, it's almost universal. We know there was a big bang, whatever, you know what? There was a central place at which all the mass and energy was, and it exploded, and it's expanding outward. We know that our galaxy and our planet is about 75% away from whatever ground zero was for that event. You know, you read all these things. They got mathematics that figure this out. <clears throat> but here's the interesting thing. The Greek verb formed at God's command is the word katarizo, which is where we get our English word catharsis. Anybody know what catharsis, when you have a catharsis, what does that mean? You, you just, it, it's like an a, a explosion or a purging or a, you know, if you have an emotional catharsis, you're, ah! That's a catharsis, you know? So the writer here is using the exact word for kind of that, that, that explosion, that the universe was catharsis into, was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now, when I used to blow stuff up, some things would be 50 feet away, some things would be... When you look at the universe, it's like a budding flower, you know? It's just kind of expanding. And, and you, watch, you know, Google some of the pictures of the galaxy. It's absolutely beautiful. Watch Star Trek, In the Darkness, came out on Blu-ray yesterday. Uh, you know, you just watch some of the, the graphics they have. It's, 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 it's the universe... It's beautiful, and it's orderly. It's expanding at that nice little rate where, you know, stars form and clusters form. Not too fast where everything's just dirt or dust. Not too slow where it's just one big giant planet. It's just, it's, it, there's a perfect rate of expansion. Don't you love that? The universe itself bears evidence. And by faith, with God's help, we see that. There are some people who look up at the stars 
and they see gods in the stars. Then you look up there, and you don't see gods in the stars. You see God forming the stars. And the writer here says, we see that and perceive that by faith. God is showing us that. Just like God shows us the universe, God wants to show us things by faith. There was a book uh, that I read in graduate school. I really enjoyed it. It was called God and the Astronomers. Anybody read that one? It's by Robert Jastrow, who was the leader of NASA's Goddard Institute, a big astrophysics think tank. And he wrote this book, and he's a self-proclaimed agnostic. He questions the existence of anything spiritual or anything beyond science and reason. And, uh, and he wrote this book, and, and the whole book was kind of back and forth, depressing and encouraging. I mean, the guy really takes you on quite a journey. But then at the very end, this is what he writes. I, you, don't, you don't expect it coming. He says, with what we're finding out, for the scientist who has lived his life by faith in the power of reason... The story ends much like a bad dream. He scaled the mountains of so-called ignorance. He's about to conquer its highest peak, and as he pulls himself up over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of Christian theologians who have been sitting there for centuries waiting for the scientists to catch up. And he said... We ended up in the same place because it's the only place you can go. I thought, how powerful. It's the only place you can go. Number one, point number one, faith helps us understand the universe. Science plus faith will always lead you back to God. Point number two, Faith brings us spiritual confidence. Let's keep going in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. Almost everybody I talk to, they know the story of Cain and Abel. It's something resonates in us, you know, kind of that sibling rivalry thing. And, and maybe half of us have even fantasized about being Cain and taking out your brother or taking out your sister. It's kind of a, a story we can identify with because we all know what it's like to fight with our siblings. It doesn't take a stretch to believe what happened happened and that Cain's rage and jealousy threw him into that. But here's the interesting thing about this story. We often overlook the offering, the meaning and the power of the story is not so much in the murder as it is in the motive. We don't really know what happened. The Bible doesn't fill in every gap, but we can assume as much to say this, Adam and Eve were taught by God that for them to be covered in their sin there must be a lifeblood offering to do that. God made the first offering when he clothed Adam and Eve. Abel grows up, and he becomes a livestock manager, herder, whatever. And Cain becomes a farmer. 
And in the course of time, they've both heard from their dad to give offerings back to God as a sacrifice for their sinful nature. Abel brings the acceptable one, the animal with its life blood in it. Cain, he thinks, ah, God just needs a few ears of corn. In fact, you know what? Broccoli. Let's sacrifice. I don't like it anyway. Tastes horrible. I'm going to bring God a boatload of broccoli. That's going to be his offering, and I'm just going to get on with my life. The point, the point is between the two, Abel follows the truth. Cain makes up his own religion. And we've been making up religions ever since. Right at the very dawn of humanity, you have it divided between, between the truth, true faith, true covering, true atonement, true forgiveness, and then you have control. I'm going to make up my own thing. Who, who are you to say my 10 ears of corn ain't going to do it? Who are you to say this broccoli ain't going to do it? You got me on the broccoli. But who are you going to say that my cauliflower ain't going to work? What you really have is a matter of the heart. Adam's telling his two boys, hey, this is what God said. And you got one of them saying, Dad, I don't believe you. Or even if I did believe you, Dad, I ain't going to do it. I'll give some vegetables. I'll give some, some, some weeds maybe. But I ain't going to trade Abel for one of his sheep and then give it over. I'm sorry. It's a real powerful story. But what does the author say? And this is, this is key. He says of Abel, by faith he was commended as a righteous man. When God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith he still speaks, even though he is dead. How does Abel speak? Because God spoke well of his offerings. Abel's faith, God's help in Abel's faith is what brought him to the proper understanding of how to worship God. Cain's rejection of it is what kept him from it. What's my point? The point is not in what we do for God. That was Cain's heart. Okay, Dad, if I'm supposed to do something for God, here, he can have a bushel. As opposed to Abel, okay, Dad, God, okay, Dad, I want God. And if that's what God's asking, I mean, these are some pretty valuable animals, but that's what he's asking, that's what I'm going to do. You see, Abel opens up to allow God to do something in him. And that's where he grows his faith. That's where he gets his confidence for his faith. People who are confident in their faith are people who allow God to do things through them rather than try to do things for God. Amen? All right, point number three. Faith eventually results in pleasure. Reading on Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Oh, I love rewards. And my guess is 
I bet many of you love them too. How many of you in your wallet or purse right now have a rewards card? Come on now, tell the truth. I have got two. One from the Starbucks on Olive Drive and one from the Starbucks on Callaway Drive. Both those cards are building up right now. I think I got a free drink on both of them. And there is no greater pleasure than when I walk in and slap that card down and say, I want this drink in this size, this way, and I don't want to pay a thing. And they have to take that card and go, okay. Because we like, I love rewards. Oftentimes when I talk to people, they almost kind of get down on God rewarding. Oh, God would never reward me. He's never going to give me. I'm just always going to scrape to have a living. I'll never get a good job, or I'll always be alone, or I'll never be happy, or I'll never have joy, or I'll never, you know, we can get this kind of Eeyore complex where we really begin to think, you know, God's goal for you is endless suffering. There may be times we suffer, but it's like working out. You suffer for the greater gain. There's times we're going to go through tough stuff, but out of it comes increased faith, comes, you know, I mean, there, there's reward that comes. The, <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11 makes no apologies to say God is a rewarder. He wants to give you his card. The only difference is you don't have to buy 10 things to get his reward. We, <laughs> we, he says... We, we look at Enoch. Enoch's an interesting guy. Cain and Abel takes up half the chapter. Enoch has four verses. He's kind of a, 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 an odd... He's talked about every now and then, but really we don't know much about him other than he, he w- took a long walk with God, walked, 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 all of a sudden he was in heaven. I mean, just, you know, he walked so far, he was no longer on earth. That's what happened to Enoch. It's, it's true. You read the Bible, he walked with God and then he was no more. You can almost imagine he just kept walking. All of a sudden, he transcends time and eternity, and he's literally with God. The only person to have ever done that. A lot of people think Elijah did that, but, but we can get in a debate about this afterward. But Elijah was actually a- alive after the chariot took him up. Uh, that, he didn't die at that point. And so Enoch, he literally is just translated up into God's presence. And I mean, I think God, we're, you know, You have verse 6 right after this. God is a rewarder of those. I was wrapping my my head around this. God, where's the reward in that? And I thought to myself, that's it. How many of us, death is like the huge bummer of life, right? Uh, That the fact that we're going to die one day, I mean, that is like, no matter what reward, no matter how many Starbucks cards you get, how many Subway cards you get, I mean, the fact that one day it's all going to end, you know, that, that can be a huge bummer. What does Enoch show us? Death is just a doorway. He just started walking, and 300 years later, he's walking in God's presence in eternity. That even death has lost its ability to discourage us. Even death has lost its ability to rob us of pleasure. And there's days where I think, man, God, I don't want this to end. I'm having fun down here. And by faith, I have to believe no matter what joy I have here, it's like that. 
compared to the joy we'll have up there. Amen? Amen. And then last but not least, faith does not fear the future. Uh, We'll end with verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. And by his faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes through faith. Faith does not fear the future. Let's face it. In this day and age, there are going to be lots of things to be afraid of. We got countries lobbing chemical weapons at people, wars and rumors of wars. I don't know about you, but I don't think the economy is doing that great, you know? I think there's a lot of uncertainty out there about the future, politically. There's things in families. I've never seen brokenness in families like I've seen lately. I've never seen anger and growling. I've never seen hatred in the eyes of people like I've seen lately. Something's happening. Maybe I'm a pessimist, but I try to be pretty realistic about things. But you know what? Even on our worst day today, it wasn't like one day in Noah's time. It was of a horror we can't even imagine. And yet, God provided Noah a boat. God provided Noah a place to build the boat. And it wasn't even by the ocean. What is the encouragement of Noah? It's the fact that this, no matter what comes in the years to come, God's got a boat for you. He's got a place for you to build it. The encouragement of Noah is there's nothing we have to be afraid of in the days to come. Oh, yeah, good times may come, bad times may come. But the fact of the matter is, by faith, Noah got his boat. Without God's help, Noah would have been swimming in whatever we would have called the flood. But with God's help and by faith, Noah built an aircraft carrier 200 miles away from the coast. And by faith, that aircraft carrier saved him. And I will say this about Noah. Noah's not, I'm not a big fan of Noah. Uh, coming from an alcoholic family, the fact that Noah gets off the ark, gets drunk, and then his sons have a peep show with him. Noah has never been on my list of favorite people. I've actually always skipped over all the Noah stuff because I just, when I think of him, I think Noah's not a guy I want to hang around with. But that has severely changed over the last few days because for 120 years, Noah was preaching to everybody about what was going to happen. He's saying, hey, this is going to happen. Follow me. Follow God. Come on. Let's do this together. And after 120 years, only himself and eight other members of his family went into his boat. That's the, that's the, the greatest ministry ineffectiveness I've ever seen throughout all the Bible. You know, this guy got nobody and he had 120 years to do it. But... He saved his family. I can tell you of preachers in our day who have saved thousands of people and their families hate God. So before we get down on Noah, yeah, he may have lost millions, but there must have been something about Noah 
that, because the Bible never mentions the faith of Noah's wife or the faith of his kids. It only mentions that they followed Noah. There must have been something about Noah's faith where they said, all right, we'll get in the boat and we'll let you lock us up and come what may, we'll follow you. There's a word to men in that passage of the Bible, a real strong word to men that when you stand up and rise up in faith and begin to lead, your family will lock themselves in a boat with you for rain that may or may not come. Of course, it did come in that case. What's my point? Worship team, come forward. Close your eyes with me. We will be tempted to try to conjure up faith, whether it's emotional, whether it's through trying to be good morally, whether it's through trying to get something out of God, whether it's through trying to simply advance in some way spiritually. The fact of the matter is, without God's help, none of us would have faith. Without God's help, we'd all be those laughing teenagers saying, who's this guy? How stupid does that sound? Without God's help, we'd all be in a dark quandary of confusion. We'd be climbing that mountain with peak after peak after peak, never reaching the top. So this morning, I'd like to encourage you. One of the greatest things that God wants to do in us, in addition to saving, in addition to healing, in addition to baptizing, He wants to help us have faith, to increase our faith, that we grow in allowing God to do more through us rather than us simply trying to do more for God. And the more we allow Him to do through us, not only does our faith grow, but the universe begins to make sense. We become spiritually confident, knowing the truth. We begin to experience the pleasure of God and the reward of faith. And we will not fear the future. Because God will have our boat somewhere, sometime. This morning, I'd like to make just a very simple invitation. If you've been trying to do faith in your own strength, and now you'd like to say, you know what, I like God's help. Really, it begins with surrendering your heart, surrendering your life, and becoming a follower of Jesus. Like that video giving up on the faith of atheism, giving up on the faith of agnosticism and becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. If that's something you'd like to do, please pray with, this, me, pray with me this morning. It's very simple. All I have to say is, Lord Jesus, by faith, I need your help. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to come into my life I ask you to come into my heart. I receive your Holy Spirit. 
Help me with my faith from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen? Let's all stand together and close church the way it should be. Yeah.